Psalm chapter 57 in your Bibles this morning. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word, the 57th Psalm. We're going to read from verse 1 down through verse number 11, the entire psalm here. We'll read the passage responsibly, meaning every other verse together. And so uh, we'll begin together in verse 1. I'll read verse 2 by myself. Thank you so much. I'm okay. Just this. Thank you very much. And uh, we'll read uh, the passage in that pattern. The uh, odd verses together and then the even verses I'll read alone. Beginning in verse 1. Everybody there? Psalm chapter 57. All right. Smile. If you love Jesus, say amen. Amen. All right. Let's begin in verse 1. Here we go. Be merciful unto me, O God. Be merciful unto me. For my soul trusteth in thee, yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up. Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. My soul is among lions, and I... Lie even among them that are set on fire, even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have digged a pit before me into the midst whereof they are fallen themselves. Selah. My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. Awake up, my glory. Awake, psaltery and harp. I myself will awake early. I will praise Thee, O Lord, among the people. I will sing unto Thee among the nations. For Thy mercy is great unto the heavens, and Thy truth unto the clouds. Be Thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let Thy glory be above the earth. The title of the sermon this morning out of the 57th Psalm is this, Trusting God Through Life's Trials. Let's pray together. Lord, this morning we gather as people that exist in a fallen world. Lord, there is sin all around us. But Lord, not only is there sin all around us, there is sin in each of us. And Lord, as a fallen and sin-cursed world, we live in... Uh, Lord, brokenness. And sometimes that brokenness brings about troubles and trials in our heart that can be disorienting and distracting. Lord, we need to hit a reset button sometimes and remember that through our troubles and trials, You are a God that we can trust. And so, Lord, this morning, help us to find that reset. Help us to leave here challenged, Lord, to love You more and uh, have our eyes fixed on You, our heart fixed on You. Lord, I pray that you'd help the one here today that does not know salvation through Jesus Christ. Lord, may you bring that one or that two or that three to a saving knowledge of salvation through the preaching today. We sure do love you. Lord, hide me behind the cross. And Lord, I just want to be your mouthpiece. If you can speak through Balaam's donkey, surely you can speak through me. And so, Lord, I ask you to do that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I wonder how many of you this morning are going through a trial of some sorts in your life. I've been the pastor of this church here for seven and a half years. It's been seven and a half wonderful years. And 
As the pastor who works to know my flock, I know that many I know of many of the trials that a lot of you go through. But sometimes we go through trials and we don't want to share. We keep those very private. Sometimes me and my family, we play Uno together. We enjoy the four of us playing Uno together. It's a competitive uh, it's a competitive game of Uno. Sometimes cards get thrown and People walk away from the table, but we have fun playing Uno together as a family. And I uh, pray for my wife. Pray she doesn't lose her temper anymore. Amen. No, it's it's not her. It's me. Okay, but um, we uh, we have a good time. You ever played Uno with somebody and uh, they're just loose with their cards? You know, they just kind of flash them around and they're not really careful. Uh, uh, how many of you uh, have somebody in your family? Maybe you're that way. You just don't care with the Uno cards. You sort of flash them around. Other people, they play their cards close to their vest. I mean, not only do they keep them where nobody can see them, they keep them in a single stack. You don't even know how many cards they have left. Amen? And uh, my daughter likes to drop cards, you know, on the floor and act like she... And so, you know, pray for my daughter that she quits cheating, you know? I mean, it's uh, it's tough. And uh, but um, uh, some people are that way with their problems and their trials. You know, they, they, uh, they, they don't want anybody to know that they're going through a hardship. Uh, some of you go to the hospital and I find out about it after you're home because you don't want anybody to see you in the hospital. And I'd have to say I'm probably that way. If I ever end up hospitalized, don't come visit me. I don't want you to see me in that immodest hospital gown. Amen. Um, uh, that's a, a little embarrassing, uh, but other people want the visit. Other people don't want the visit. They're very private about those things and they hold on to those troubles and those trials deep down inside. I say all that to say this morning that some of you come to church and you look like life is perfect. You, every hair is in place. Uh, uh, your life appears to be totally put together. And as far as the pastor's concerned or the deacons are concerned or the other church members are concerned, maybe even as far as your spouse is concerned or your family is concerned, everything is just perfect. But you know that deep down inside you're battling a trial that is overwhelming, a trial that is hitting you hard. Sometimes life can feel as though you're being squeezed. Pressures and expectations coming from every side. People who you love maybe attack you unfairly or people who you love that let you down. A mom or a dad who betray your trust or uh, attack you or hurt you. Maybe a brother or sister who now is an adult and that rivalry that was cute when you were kids has now become something that's broken uh, speaking terms. And there's this pain and hurt that runs down deep inside. Maybe you're dealing with a rash of medical problems that uh, uh, have hit you hard or even worse, medical problems that hit your family member hard. I think I would rather suffer uh, a hardship uh, medically than watch my wife or my kids or my parents go through something like that. Because I'd rather suffer than have to sit by their bedside and watch them suffer. And uh, sometimes it's our own actions that can send us into a downward spiral. I shave, uh, uh, I'm not shaving as much anymore, amen, but I shave my face every morning and as I stand in the mirror and shave my face, I look at my greatest enemy every morning. Do you know that I create more problems for myself than anybody else does? I'm my own worst enemy. and uh, It's natural to point the finger at others, but the reality is, is that oftentimes the problems and trials in my life I have brought upon myself, but 
sometimes it isn't my own actions that cause me to hurt. Sometimes others attack me or hurt me or uh, bring down pain in my life. Whether it is self-inflicted or others inflicted, at times life can just seem quite overwhelming. It is what you do in these moments that will make you or break you as a child of God. In the 57th Psalm, we find David at one of the darkest hours of his young life. He's being chased. He's being chased as a fugitive of the law by his father-in-law and the king of the country, the most mighty man in all of the country. He's being chased by King Saul. David is hiding in the wilderness. And in fact, look back with me at Psalm chapter 57 and look with me above verse number 1. And look there. This is just as inspired as verse 1 is. It says, to the chief musician. You see that there? To the chief musician. Now, that next name is a Hebrew name I am not capable of pronouncing. But it says there, when he fled from Saul in the cave. When he fled from Saul in the cave. When was this written? It was written while David was hiding from Saul Inside a cave. Now twice David would hide from Saul in the cave. And as we read Psalm 57 and compare it to the stories found in 1 Samuel. uh, We believe that this psalm would have been written while David was in the second cave. That would be the cave of En Gedi. David had 600 soldiers uh, with him in this cave. And he was surrounded by King Saul and his 3,000 men. So 601 versus 3,001, they were trapped in this cave, and it seemed as though it was just a matter of time until David would be killed. Now, I've had some bad days in my life. But I have never had a day this bad. I have never had a day where I was trapped in a cave, being chased like a wild animal, To be killed. I don't know what you're going through. But I think whatever you're going through is less than what David was going through. Now you may feel like life's closing in on you. And you may feel like you're in a cave. And you may feel like uh, your life is being snuffed out. But David's life actually was being snuffed out. I said all that to say, however David responded... I think we can look at and turn to as a template on how we can and should respond to life's problems. I believe that God has called His people to trust Him and Him alone through the trials of life. When it feels as though your world is crashing down upon you, God wants you to turn to Him and trust Him to carry you through. Let's look at Psalm 57, verse by verse. We're going to look at the 57th Psalm, and we're going to see three thoughts on how David trusted God through his trial, and how that you and I can do the same. Number one, notice David's fear. David's fear. In the first three verses of Psalm 57, David lays out his fear uh, in a complaint to God. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with being afraid. 
What, what's, what's sinful about fear is not whether or not you have it. It's what you do with it once you have it. You see, when we fear and we tremble and we wring our hands and we don't turn to the Lord, then that fear becomes a sin. But when you're afraid and you turn to God in fear, it's in that time that God can help you. Letter A, notice in verse 1, David says this. He says, Lord, hide me. Lord, hide me. Look at verse 1 with me. David says, Be merciful unto me, O God. Be merciful unto me. Everybody pay attention. Verse 1. For my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings, while I make my refuge, until these calamities be overpassed. David, you have done everything you can do tactically to evade Saul and his army. But an insider has given up your general whereabouts. King Saul is closing in on you. He has you surrounded. He wants to kill you. David, what are you going to do? David says, I'm going to call on the name of the Lord and ask Him to hide me in the shadow of His wing. Do you know that the same wing of the Almighty where David hid is available to me and available to you. Some choose to handle life's trials on their own. Others choose to run from God's protection. And my friend, it isn't a question of is there a trial or problem in your life? It's where do you run when you're afraid? Where do you run when fear grips your heart? Matthew chapter 23 verse 37, we find people exercising their free will against Christ. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Jesus said, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how oft would I have gathered thy children together? Even as a hen gathereth her chicken under her wings, and ye would not. Ye would not. What's the Bible saying here? Jesus, looking out at these people who are filled with calamity and fear, instead of bringing them in and under his wing, they pushed away from Jesus. They wanted nothing to do with Him uh, because they, uh, they did not want the Lord. They pushed away from Him. And oftentimes when we go through troubles and trials and our heart is gripped with fear, oftentimes when that happens, instead of running to God, we run away from God. And David here, surrounded by the enemy, he looks up to God and he says, Lord, hide me under Your wing. Hide me under the shadow of the Almighty. Psalm 91 verse 1 might be the most famous verse with this idea in mind. David writes, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Where should we run when times are, are hard? Where do we find that place where we can hide in the Lord? We find that in a private walk with God. 
A private walk with God. This is why you should wake up every morning and open up that Bible and read it. This is why every morning you should get down on your knees if you're able to do so and spend some time in prayer because it's in that shadow of that secret place where we can hide from the problems of this world. The Lord Jesus Christ wants to be your refuge from the storm. He wants to be that strong tower. He wants to be that rock beneath your feet. Oftentimes we're too busy running from God instead of running to God to hide from Him. Letter A, David said, Lord, hide me. Letter B, David said, Lord, hear me. Lord, hear me. Look at Psalm 57. Look at verse number 2. Psalm 57, verse 2. I will cry unto God most high. No, sir, I will cry unto God that performeth all things for me. Now, take note of that word, Performeth. We're going to come back to that word here in just a moment. David said, I will cry. First, David asked God during this time of trauma and trial to hide him under the shadow of his wing. Then David turns to God and says, while I'm here under your wing, I have a prayer I'd like you to hear. What was David's cry? David says, Lord, I need you to perform on my behalf. David says, I've given it everything. I've got, uh, I've given it everything I've got, and King Saul is still going to find me and kill me. He knows the wilderness I'm in. He knows my general whereabouts. He has me surrounded. He has malintent in his heart. He wants to take my life. David says, Lord, not only do I want you to hide me, but Lord, hear me. I want you, I need you to protect me. I need you to perform for me. You, may remember that way back in 1 Samuel chapter 16, Samuel had taken a cruise of oil and anointed young David with oil to be Israel's next king. The, the word perform, look back with me at verse number 2. It says, performeth all things for me. The word perform here in the Hebrew means many things, but one thing that it means is to perfect. To perfect. God... Perform on my behalf or perfect on my behalf that work that you have begun in me. Imagine that you have a canvas and you have a painter and he's going to paint a very complicated painting. He picks up that palette of paint, he gets his paintbrush and he begins in on that painting. And he gets about halfway through and he's having a hard time getting the painting to come about. He's laid all of his base colors and he, he's feeling frustrated because it's just not quite turning out the way that he had originally envisioned. So he lays down the palette and he lays down the paintbrush and he walks away. You and I happen upon this half-painted painting on this canvas and we look at it and we say, it's not very good looking. It, it just doesn't look very good. And the artist comes back along after having taken taking a break and giving it some thought and he picks up that uh, palette and he picks up that paintbrush and he gets back to work and boy, as he continues to work that canvas, uh, it comes about a beautiful painting. And it's like David is saying here in the 57th Psalm, he's saying, I'm a half-painted uh, painting. Lord, don't put down the palette. Don't put down the paintbrush. Work on it, Lord. Work on me, Lord. I need you to perfect me. I need you to work on me. I need you to finish what you've begun in my life. I look at my life and I look at your lives and sometimes what I see, especially when I look at myself, is I see a giant mess. 
And I think, Lord, this is a disaster. And God says, I'm not done working on you, boy. I'm going to bring some more troubles and trials into your life. Because I'm trying to bring about a work in you that's perfect. Paul said in, uh, in, in his letters to the churches, he said, uh, I believe it was Philippians 1, he said, uh, He that hath begun a work in me will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. And I'm so glad he's not done working on me. The old kid's song says, He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun, the earth, and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be. He's still working on me. (laughs) If it took him just a week to make all that, and it takes him 80 to 100 years to get me where he wants me to be, that is a patient God. Amen? Lord, perform on my behalf. Lord, perfect me. Sometimes we look at troubles and trials that come into our lives and we say, God, why are you doing this? What are you doing to me? Why would you allow so much pain and hurt in my life? Some time ago, I was talking to a man and he was telling me, uh, he said, Pastor, to be candid with you, I'm just a little bitter at God. And I said, why are you bitter at God? He said, because I've experienced a lot of pain and suffering in my life recently. And I don't understand if God loves me so much, why he would allow such pain and suffering to come my way. You know what? I was thankful for the man's candid, uh, the man's cancer rather. Can I tell you, a lot of folks, even here today, feel just like he does. They're just not willing to, to word it like that. He, he went on and he said to me, I'm a father and I'm a grandfather. He said, I would never allow pain and suffering into the life of my children if I could prevent it. If God is almighty, why would he allow such pain to come into my life? And I, I looked at him and I said, I think we got a couple things backwards here. I think that you are trying to superimpose your model of parenting on God instead of allowing God's model of parenting to be brought down on you. God is not going to parent the way that you parent. You see, God uses troubles and trials to mold us and shape us. How many of you here have ever gone through a trial in your life and you grew in the Lord as a result and... Looking back on it, you didn't like the trial, but you can see that God brought about great growth in your life. You see how God uses trials? My daughter yesterday was my soul winning partner, and she said to me, she said, Dad, I don't know where to get questions like this. She said, Dad, would you uh, be willing to uh, give up a year's worth of memories for a million dollars? And I thought about that for a minute. I said, where did you come up with that question? She said, I don't know. I said, do I get to pick the year? She said, sure. I said, yeah, there's, there's a couple of years of my life I'd be happy to give up the memories. But I got to thinking about that later. Out of the mouth of babes, amen? I got to thinking about that later. The year that I would give up in order to get that million dollars, that year of great pain and hurt in my life and my family's life, God used that year to teach me more things than any other year of my life. I don't know what you're going through right now, but I know this. God has a plan. God has a purpose. David said, Lord, help me. Then he said, Lord, hear me. Look at verse 3. He says, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Look at Psalm 57. Look at verse 3. He shall send from heaven and save me 
from the reproach of him that would swallow me up. That word Selah right there means think on this. And uh, I think this Selah might have a little bit more emphasis, a little more umph, a little bit more pizzazz than most Selahs in the book of Psalm. And he's saying, what do you think about that? The Lord's going to step up and He's going to save me. The Lord's going to step up and He's going to swallow them up that seek to hurt me. God shall send forth His mercy and His truth. He treats Mercy and truth, almost like they're two angels that are coming to his defense. Take your Bibles over to 1 Samuel 23. Let's get the context of Psalm 57 out of 1 Samuel. Hold your place in Psalm 57 and then put a marker in 1 Samuel 23. We're going to bounce back and forth here. Uh, David here is trapped in a cave. The circumstances are bleak. From a military standpoint, from a tactical standpoint... It does not seem like he has any shot at making it out alive. In fact, there is no human reason why David should survive. But David has great confidence that he will survive the day. Well, where does he get this confidence from? Look at verse Samuel 23 and look at verse 24. The Bible says, And they arose and went to Ziph before Saul. But David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, in the plain of the south of Jeshimon. Saul also and his men went uh, went to seek him. And they told David, Wherefore he came down into a rock, and abode in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. And Saul went on this side of the mountain, and David and his men on that side of the mountain. And David made haste. To get away for fear of Saul. For Saul and his men compassed David or surrounded David. And his men round about to take them. But there came a messenger unto Saul saying, Haste thee and come. For the Philistines have invaded the land. Wherefore Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore they called that place, and I can't pronounce this. Here's my best attempt. Selah Hamalekah. I don't know how to pronounce it, but I can tell you what that means. Write this down in your Bible or write this down um, on your paper. The place that David named that rock or that mountain is called Rock of Escape. Rock of Escape. That's going to mean more when I explain the story to you here in a minute. Verse number 29 says, And David went up from thence and dwelt in the strongholds of Engedi. So here's the story. David is on the run from Saul, his father-in-law, who's jealous and wants to kill him. David runs and hides in a city, and uh, uh, Saul has his own central intelligence agency, if you will. He has discovered uh, right where uh, uh, David is, and he comes down to get David. David escapes out of the city, and he's hiding behind a mountain. Well, David uh, is there hiding behind this mountain, and Saul's army comes, and they begin to wrap around the mountain. Now, I was thinking about this story, and you'll have to forgive me. I was a children's pastor for a handful of years before I was an adult pastor. And so sometimes I think like a, a children's pastor. I imagine, you know, like David on one side of the mountain and Saul's men on the other and they're chasing each other around the mountain. How many remember back when you were kids and you have your sibling chasing you around the coffee table, right? And as long as you can keep an equal distance around the coffee table, they can't catch you until your sibling jumps over the table and just tackles you, right? And so I, that's kind of how I see this. But Saul's men are chasing him around the mountain and then they begin to surround him. And they got David pinned. 
They're going to catch him and kill him. And then God steps in and does something miraculous. God allows the Philistines to invade the capital city. And messengers make it to Saul right as they're closing in on David. And the messengers say to Saul, Hey, you got to come quick. The Philistines are invading the capital. you got to come right now. And so they leave David just moments before they capture him to go and take care of the Philistine insurgency and save the capital city. And David goes... And he names that rock the Rock of Escape. What does David do? David flees into the wilderness of Engedi to a cave. Well, Saul finishes taking care of the insurgency, and he does not go home. He goes back into looking for David. And where does he go? He goes to Engedi, where David is hiding. So how could David be so confident in that cave that Saul would not catch him? Because just one chapter earlier, God had delivered Saul, or God had delivered David out of Saul's hand. Now, let me say this to you new Christians here. There's several of you in here who have only been saved for a few months or a few years. Here's the great thing about being a child of God for a long period of time. When you're put in troubles and trials, you watch God come through over and over and over again. Let me tell you something. When I have a hardship come into my life, I'm at a place now after having been saved for uh, nearly 36 years. I'm at a place now where I don't say, Oh Lord, are you going to rescue me? I say, I can't wait to see how God comes through this time. And you know what? I don't even question God. Because I know God's going to come through. But can I tell you something? God doesn't like to come through on my timeline. He comes through on His timeline. And let me tell you something about the Lord's timeline. The Lord's timeline is usually my 11th hour. Sometimes God's timeline is my 11th and a half hour. At the last possible moment, He swoops in and He saves the day. Why does God do that to us? And Lord, it feels like you're going to give me a heart attack. Why do you wait till the last minute? God says, because I'm trying to grow your faith. I want your faith to be strong. David here is hiding in the cave. And he says, Lord, hide me under the shadow of the Almighty. He says, Lord, hear my prayer. He says, Lord, help me through this trial. Number one, we see David's fear. Are you afraid this morning? I would say turn to the Lord and ask Him to hide you. Ask Him to hear you and ask Him to help you. Number two, we see David's foe. David's foe. Letter A, we see the enemy's strength. Go back with me. Hold your place in 1 Samuel. Go back with me to the 57th Psalm this morning. Look with me at verse number 4. David says this. He says, My soul is among, read that next word for me. My soul is among lions. You ever gone down to the zoo and seen the lions? Some big animals. I was down in Peru earlier this year. My father-in-law took me to the zoo. And I'm standing outside the lion exhibit. And I thought, oh boy, I would hate to be inside that exhibit. Alone with that lion. Especially if that lion was hungry. 
Imagine walking through the safari and there's a lion prouncing, or rather just sort of observing you. He's scoping you out. He's going to take you out and you know there's nothing you can do about it. David said, my soul is among lions. You say, well, he is, uh, he's being hyperbolic for sure. Well, we're going to look at 1 Samuel 24 in a moment and see that no, he really isn't. Look here. My soul is among lions. He goes on and says, I, and I lie even among them that are set on fire. Even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows. And their tongue a sharp sword. He said there... Their, their, their disinformation campaign against me is strong. And he said they're lions seeking to destroy me. Go back to First Samuel chapter 24. Look at verse 1. It came to pass, the Bible says, when Saul was returned from following the Philistines, that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then, look at verse 2. Then Saul took... 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel. Now, this wasn't just 3,000 privates in a military coming after David. Saul went and got the elite forces of Israel's military and came after David. Now, to speak in terms that we understand, this is like going and getting like the, the, the Navy SEAL teams. And the army rangers, all right? I don't know what all the other, uh, I know every different military branch has their own elite soldiers. But imagine if a, a president went and got the elitist, the, the elite of elite soldiers out of every branch and compiled them into one army to come and find one man. How many remember when, um, when uh, President Obama gave the order and they seized uh, the compound of Osama bin Laden? How many remember that, all right? If your hand's not up, then you're living under a cave, amen? All right, or you're very young. I remember I was sitting on the couch watching the, uh, the end of a baseball game, I think, or the end of some sports game, and uh, getting ready to go to bed, and the news, the, the, whole, the whole thing was interrupted by the news, and it was President Obama coming on TV and saying... We got him. And I remember jumping up. Yeah, we got him. All right. Uh, he's, he's, he's dead. They killed him. And then seeing the documentaries about the Navy SEAL team going into that compound and very quickly taking out Osama bin Laden. Now, maybe I shouldn't rejoice over his death, but as an American boy, it felt good to see someone who brought so much pain on our country go down. Amen? Amen. I remember seeing... Um, I remember seeing the uh, people outside the, the White House fence chanting, USA, USA, with the flags. And I, I remember just the pride of being an American in that moment. Now, I, I use that as an example to say this. Imagine the elite of the elite forces of the Israeli army coming in looking for David. Do you understand now while he said, my soul lies among the lions? David had 600 men who were well trained. But an army of 600 versus an army of 3,000 trained men. You should not be able to stand any chance at all. I don't know what problem has you surrounded right now. Maybe a loved one has gone to the doctor. Or you've gone to the doctor and you've heard the word cancer. Maybe you have a child who's so wayward in their behavior that every day you wake up and it breaks your heart. 
Maybe your marriage is on the rocks. Maybe you have a relationship with a parent that's not healthy. Maybe you're going through financial hardship and you don't know how you're going to pay the bills to maintain a car or a house. Maybe your problems are even deeper than that. You had a wound to your spirit in your childhood. Somebody did something that hurt you. And you're now in your adult years and you just still can't seem to be able to move past that. And you feel like your soul lies among the lions. And you feel like that the strength of the enemy can never be overcome. David's foe. Letter A, we see the enemy's strength. Letter B, we see the enemy's snare. Look with me at verse number 6. Psalm 57, look at verse 6. David says, They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have digged a pit before me. Into the midst whereof they are fallen themselves. Selah. Go back to 1 Samuel 24. Look at verse number 2. We see in great detail the snare laid before him. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. So where the wild goats roamed free, they went to that area with 3,000 chosen men to go in every cave and to go in every uh, area to leave no stone unturned to encompass David, to find him, to drag him out of that wilderness and to kill him. David said, they've laid a snare for me. I can hardly move without being caught. I think of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, where the Bible says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Let me be very clear to this. While David and his men were... uh, uh, were, were tangible, were physical uh, people who could be seen and touched. And you and I can't see Satan. But let me tell you today, Satan has ever been as real as Saul and his army were. And Satan has ever been after you like a lion uh, as David or David was uh, Saul was. And, 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 and Satan wants your, your soul. He wants to feast on you. Jesus said that, uh, uh, that He comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life more abundantly, John chapter 10. And uh, today I'm here to tell you that Satan wants to devour your soul. No, let me tell you today, Satan hates you. He hates you. And he'll do anything he can to tear you apart. You know, I was thinking the other day as I was praying over my sin and asking God to forgive my sin, I got a little upset in my prayer time. Here's what I told the Lord in my frustration. I said, I hate my flesh. I hate my flesh. Everything my flesh wants bends me toward death and destruction. Everything. If not death of my body, death of my marriage, or death of some friendships, or death of the pastorate, or death of my parenting abilities, and and destruction, destruction, destruction. Boy, you know what? This morning I went downstairs after I preached the 815 service, and somebody laid a snare for me. You know what they did? They left a plate of, 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 of cookies. 
Christmas cookies. Oh, I love Christmas cookies. I love Christmas cookies a little too much. And I put one in my mouth and I thought, this isn't good for me. Amen. And then I picked up another one. I said, I've got a cold. I really shouldn't be eating this here. And and I ate that and I got myself a cup of coffee. You know what I did? I picked up three sugar packets. And I put that and I said, I shouldn't put this sugar in here. That's not good for me either. And I got the half and half out of the refrigerator. You know, the only thing better than half and half in coffee is heavy whipping cream because there's more fat in it, amen? And uh, I put that in my coffee. This isn't good for me. And I picked up another piece of fudge and I said, man, I'm, I really shouldn't be. You know, the, the flesh is just bent toward destroying itself, isn't it? How many like me? You need to go on a diet come January 1, amen? All right. Praise God. Um, Satan is that roaring lion seeking to destroy you. He'll use your flesh. But can I tell you the greatest tool in Satan's arsenal? The greatest tool in Satan's arsenal is discouragement. He wants to discourage you away from church. He wants to discourage you away from a walk with God. He wants to discourage you into isolation so He can destroy you. You know what I find myself doing as a pastor? I find myself walking around pushing people back toward church. Pushing people back toward fellowship. Because Satan wants to isolate and destroy. The enemy snares. Satan is that roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Let her see. We see God's Sovereignty. Look with me at the fifth verse of Psalm 57. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. Look down at verse 11. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. We must, write this down, we must learn to trust God even when we cannot trace God. We must learn to trust God even when we cannot trace God. Sometimes bad things happen in our life and we say, God, where are you? Did you go absent? Where were you when this happened to me? Where were you when that happened? And we can't see God, but God is in the background and He's at work and He has a greater plan even for the pain and the problems of life. We have to learn to trust Him. Sometimes we we are left to wonder why God allows certain things to happen to us. We're left to wonder if God just up and disappeared at one of the most crucial junctures of our life. We must remember that His glory is above all the earth. He sees the long-term plan and He has the bigger picture in mind. There David is hiding in this cave. Soldiers all around him. And David does not look out the cave at the enemy. He looks above the cave at the God who's above. And he says he is greater than Saul and his army. There's a story about a Lutheran pastor who lived in the Soviet bloc of Europe. This particular pastor had a very attractive daughter who was hired to be a government party secretary. This young, beautiful woman was given an ultimatum. Be the mistress of this party secretary, 
or have her father's church shut down and her father imprisoned. What a terrible ultimatum to be given. Eventually, she would cave to the pressure and she would become this man's mistress. Upon discovery that she was pregnant, she hung herself and left a suicide note in her pocket explaining the details of what had happened. Another government official discovered her body first and discovered the suicide note in her pocket. A new suicide note was forged and swapped from her pocket. The new suicide note claimed that the girl's father had raped her and that she could no longer live with the guilt so she had taken her life. The pastor was taken and imprisoned. Word spread around the prison about what he had allegedly done and he was beaten by the other inmates. You may be left to wonder how God could allow this terrible set of events to happen. A few years later, this pastor received a new cellmate. Who was it? The party secretary who had impregnated his daughter. He had been caught for embezzling money. After some time of getting to know each other, Eventually, it came out that he was the one that had impregnated his daughter. They say, well, pastor, what good comes from that? That pastor found it in his heart to forgive this man. And that pastor led this man to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. God's glory is above the earth. We must learn to trust God even when we cannot trace God. Let's finish the sermon this morning. Number one, we saw David's fear. Number two, David's foe. Lastly, number three, David's focus. David's focus. Letter A, we see, speaking of God, or rather, speaking of David, we see his plan. Look at verse number seven. Psalm 57, verse 7. The Bible says, My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. Here David's trapped in the cave and he says this. He says, My heart is fixed on God. He says it twice. My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. While in the cave, David's mind was racing. His emotions were spiked. His family was a His men were on edge. What did David do? He fixed his heart on God. He chose to place his focus, beginning with his heart, on the God who is ultimately in control. David would write in Psalm 25, verse 2, He said, O my God, I trust in Thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. He would write in the 56th Psalm, in the third verse, What time I am afraid, finish it church, I will trust in thee. I remember being a little boy. One night I had a nightmare. I had a nightmare that a bad guy caught me. I woke up believing that he had me by the feet. I woke up kicking and screaming at the top of my lungs. I can remember being a six or seven year old boy and my mother coming in my room, calming me down. 
running her fingers through my hair. This was back when I had hair, amen? (laughs) And she quoted this verse over and over again. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. She prayed with me. And then she sang the songs out of the hymnal. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. David wrote in the 61st Psalm, he said, listen carefully to these verses. He said, hear my cry, O God. Attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. David, you're surrounded on every side. David, you have the elite of the elitist soldiers looking for you. They want to drag you out. They want to run a spear through you. They want to kill, to kill you. David, what are you going to do? David said, my, here's my plan. I'm going to fix my heart on God. And I'm going to trust Him to deliver me. Letter A, His plan. Letter B, we see His praise. His praise. The last four verses of this chapter were most likely written after God had delivered David from King Saul's hand. Look at the praise He gives the Lord. Look at verse 8. Awake up, my glory, awake. Psaltery and harp. I myself will awake early. I will awake early. I will praise Thee, O Lord, among the people. I will sing unto Thee among the nations. For Thy mercy is great unto the heavens, and Thy truth unto the clouds. Be Thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let Thy glory be above the earth. David would be delivered out of the hand of Saul. And David would say, hey, you know what? Tomorrow morning I'm going to get up extra early. And I'm going to praise the Lord for what He did did for me. I don't like going through hard times. I've said this often, but if we put a sign-up sheet on the back table and said, everyone interested in having a trial next week, go out to the table in the lobby and put your name down. Our, uh, our tribulation team will meet with you later and assign you a problem. Amen? I don't think anybody put their name on that sheet. I don't think anybody here is interested in getting a flat tire on the way home from church this morning. Or going home and finding their basement flooded. I don't think anybody here is interested in going to work on a Monday and finding out that you've lost your job. I don't think anybody here is interested in feeling sick to go to a doctor and find out that you have a terminal disease. I don't think anybody here is interested in finding out that their parents now hate them or their kids no longer want to obey them or or honor them. I don't think anybody here is interested in signing up for a trial. But can I tell you what we all should be interested in? We all should be interested in praising God after the trial, and we've been delivered from it. Oh, how God wants to grow you through problems. And if you'll trust Him through it, you, like David on the back end, will sing praises to God for what He did for you. Who did David want to praise? God too. Well, we see back in verse number 9, look there, it says, I will praise thee among the people. Who is that? He said, I'm going to praise God to my neighbors. He said, hey, to my neighbors, I'm going to lift my voice and I'm going to praise God as loud as I can. Everybody in my neighborhood, everybody within earshot of me, all 600 men that follow me are going to know that my God delivered me. 
but not only amongst his neighbors, but look back at verse 9. He said, I will sing unto thee among the nations. Among the nations. He said, everybody on planet earth is going to know, is going to know that God has delivered me from the hand of my enemy. So how does the story end? How does David go from being trapped in a cave to being delivered? Well, the story is actually quite funny. In fact, uh, 1 Samuel 24 gives us the account of how it happened. Saul is hunting for David, and Saul makes his way into the cave that David is in. He did not go in that cave to kill David. He did not know David was in the cave. He went in the cave, the Bible says, to cover his feet. What does it mean to cover your feet? I love how discreet the Bible is with its language. I will be less discreet. To cover your feet means to go to the bathroom. Saul went into that cave to take a squat. Is that still careful enough? So there Saul is, by himself in the cave, King Saul, in a squatting position. And Abishai, David's right-hand man, sees him and he says to David, Here's your chance. He's vulnerable. He's trying to kill you. You've been anointed to be the next king. Go take him out. David looks at him for a minute. He looks back at Abishai and he says, I'm not going to do that. So what does David do? He sneaks up behind King Saul as he's going to the bathroom. He takes his sword off his hip. He grabs hold of the robe that Saul is wearing, probably draping the ground. And he cuts off the bottom of that robe. He sneaks back into the cave. Saul walks out of the cave having his rear end exposed. He's embarrassed. He quickly runs into his tent and he changes, not knowing what had happened to him. They get on down the way and David comes out of the cave. And he yells across the, across the way. He says, King Saul! He says, look, look what I have in my hand. I could have killed you if I had so wanted but I spared your life because I don't hate you. You're my father-in-law. I love you. Saul says, David, you're a better man than me. He said, I'm going to go home and I'm not going to pursue you anymore. Well, as the story goes, he would pursue David yet a second time. And David would have yet another opportunity to take Saul's life and he would not do it. David was the bigger man. David was mature. I finished the sermon right here. Give me your attention. To be human is to experience pain. You listening? Your trial is going to be different than my trial. Your hardship is going to be different than my hardship. But we all go through problems. The immature response is to shake your fist at God and say, why? The mature response is to say, Lord, I don't know why you brought this in my life. But work a good work in me. Perform in me that completed painting. Bring about me a finished work in Jesus Christ. You see, you can't really experience a finished work in Jesus Christ. Until you first accepted Christ to be your Lord and Savior. 
God looked down on sinful man and He saw that we were broken in our sin. He said, I need to redeem them back to Myself. He sent Jesus to be born through the womb of a virgin. Jesus lived a perfect life. At the age of 33, He was arrested. He was beaten. Isaiah 53 describes in in prophetic terms exactly what Jesus went through. It says He was wounded for our iniquities. He was bruised bruised for our transgressions, wounded for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was laid upon and by His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to His own way. Yet the Lord hath laid on Him the iniquity of us all. And just as Isaiah 53 described, Jesus was laden with uh, stripes. He was bruised and He was nailed to a cross. Why? He was put there for my sin and yours. You cannot know what it means to be complete in Jesus Christ until you have first become a child of God through Jesus Christ. Jesus died for your sins. Three days later, He rose from the dead. He's alive forevermore. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And He wants to save your soul. He's waiting on you to humble your heart and come to Him. If you'll do so, He'll give you the gift of eternal life that He purchased with His life on the cross. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Boy, I sure appreciate your... uh, attention this morning. You've been an easy crowd to preach to. I ask you this morning, how many here this morning would say, Pastor Lejeune, there was a day and time in my life I, I put my faith and trust in Jesus alone to be my Christ, to be my Savior. I'm not going to heaven because I'm a good person or because I'm religious. I'm going to heaven because I, as a sinner, came to Jesus and I asked Him to save me. If that's your testimony, would you just slip up your hand right where you are? I know I'm going to heaven. I've given my heart to Jesus. Here's my hand. Thank you so much. Many, many hands raised. Many hands not raised. Many of you in here did not raise your hand. And I thank you for your honesty. Boy, if you didn't raise your hand just a moment ago, I, I, I want to pray for you. I don't want to embarrass anybody here this morning. I would never want to embarrass you. But I sure would like to pray for you. Is there one here this morning that would say, if I died today, I'm not certain where I'd spend eternity. I'm not certain where I would go. Pastor Lejeune, would you pray for me? Here's my hand. I don't know where I would go if I died. Would you pray for me? I see one hand. Is there another? I'm just not certain. I'd go to heaven. Would you pray for me? I see yet another hand. Is there anyone else? I want to pray for you. I see another hand. I would never embarrass you, but I sure do want to pray for you. In just a few minutes, if you raise your hand or you're not certain, would you look up here at me? If you raise your hand or maybe you should have raised your hand and you didn't, would just those people look up here at me? Everyone else, heads bowed, eyes closed. In just a few minutes, we're going to have something called an invitation. We're going to invite people to come and kneel down here at the front and pray. Probably three, four, five, maybe 13, 14, 15 people will come and, and kneel. I would like to meet you down front here. And I'd like to have a lady sit with each of you. And take the Bible and show you how you can know for certain that when you take your last breath on earth, that you're going to go to heaven. If you're a man, we'll have a man take the Bible and show you that. But I invite you to come forward at the end of the service so we can show you how you can make peace with God. If you're not comfortable doing that, I'll be standing in the back of the auditorium after the service. And we'll have someone work with you then. But please don't leave here today without having received that gift of eternal life. Thank you. How many here this morning would say, Pastor Lejeune, I'm going through a trial in my life. And I need to be reminded, need to be reminded today to trust God through the trial.
to see the Lord high and lifted up above my problem and to know that He has a plan in my pain. If that's you, would you hold up your hand this morning? Pastor, pray for me. I'm going through a trial. I need to be reminded to trust God. Pray that I'll do that. Lord, many hands raised, many people going through hardships. Lord God, only You are the master painter of our lives. Only You know the work that You're trying to do in us. Help us to trust You through the trial. Lord God, be with each one this morning. Those that don't know where they're going to spend eternity, may they get that matter settled here in the next few minutes. In Jesus' name.